Welcome to the Mad Singers Management Podcast from madsingers.com, where entrepreneurs and business managers learn and share. If you like the show, don't forget to leave a review. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this next episode of the Mad Singers Management Podcast. I am excited. I'm joined today by Michael Tanner himself, who is a leadership excellence and have a lot of management experience, even more than me which doesn't say a lot, but hey. Uh, Michael, welcome to the show. Mads, thank you so much for having me as a part of your, uh, your podcast. I'm honored to share some time with you and your audience. So thank you so much for giving me this opportunity. Excellent. And for the audience, this is really going to be a session on great management and great leadership in particular. So Michael, just before we jump into it and get started with all the good stuff, do you want to give the audience sort of a, a couple of minutes background on who you are and sort of where your management skills and background came from? Sure, I'd love to do that, Mads. Um, So uh, my key focus uh, for uh, my business is leadership development. Uh, And to tell you how I got there really quickly, I, my first leadership position was in 1993. So uh, roughly 27 years ago, that was the first position that I considered a professional leadership position, meaning I actually got paid for serving in a role of leadership. And that was actually in the United States Marine Corps. And when I say that, a lot of people think, well, okay, you attained some rank that made you a leader over other people. But it was actually in the Marine Corps that I realized leadership is not about rank or title or position or authority. At that time, I wouldn't have told you this, but I began to see that leadership is really around relationships. It's not about those other things like rank, title, position, and so forth. Well, as I got out of the United States Marine Corps, I moved into the corporate world into software development. So I became a software developer uh, and really, really quickly became a leader in software development for the company that I worked for uh, because my, my passion in that moment was I wanted the business to give me a big problem so that I could solve it with the software that I wrote. And with every iteration, I wanted a bigger problem and then a bigger problem and then a bigger problem. And pretty quickly, those problems got large enough that I couldn't solve it on my own. And so I needed a team of people to help me solve that problem. And lo and behold, the company gave me a team of people. And so now I'm a software developer and a leader of other software developers. And it's in that moment that really my passion and my interest switched from give me a bigger problem to solve to I really love and enjoy watching other people solve those problems and, and, and leading them and, and helping them, you know, equipping them, enabling them to solve those problems. And so for years now, I've just kind of grown through the ranks, if you will, of the corporate ladder. I'm current, I currently uh, am a vice president of engineering. I uh, have a team of about 165 people But then I'm also building a a business, maybe I call it my retirement business, that is around leadership development. And so that's what I'm doing at Credible Leadership Group is just sharing those years of experience in leadership with a really, really strong passion to see people win. I I just, I get get goosebumps and I just get this this, uh, energy when I can see people succeed and win, achieve goals that they that they want to achieve or overcome some hurdles, some, some inner fears or concerns that they have about leading. 
when I see people do that, it just energizes me. And so that's what I'm doing today in, uh, with my incredible leadership group is leadership development so that I can see people win. Awesome, Michael. I love it. I love it. I, th- I think we have a somewhat similar mindsets around that. So that's excellent. Sure. Yeah. So the, the first question that I usually like to start out with here is like, how do you look at management and how do you look at sort of the managing a business or, or a team of people? Like how, what's your philosophy yeah. around it? I differentiate between the word management and the word leadership. And if you think, uh, now I'm no grammar expert, but if you think of a noun, a noun is a person, place, or thing. Within that definition of a noun, you can manage any of those except for people, right? So the person or the place or thing, you can manage all of that. You, you know, your task, your schedule, your business, your revenue, you can manage all those things. But when it comes to the people part of a noun, I prefer to use the word leadership. You, you lead people and you manage everything else. Now, I'm not concerned if someone asks me, well, how do you ma- best manage people? I, I get it. It's okay with me. But the reason I do that is then because I have a really, really crisp working definition of leadership. For me, the, the word leadership means influencing others towards a shared goal. Now, I'll break that, def- that, that uh, definition down re- for you really, really quickly. First of all, I use the word influence uh, very, very carefully there because uh, leadership or, or influence, it carries with it this notion of willingness, right? People are willing to follow you. They're not doing so out of fear or some type of obligation, right? They're willing to follow you. And so that's the reason I use the word influence. And obviously, you got to be influencing others. If if you don't have others in the equation, then you're not leading. If, if people aren't following you, then you're not leading. You have to have a goal, right? We're not just wandering aimlessly through the wilderness here. We, we've got a purpose. We've got an intention that we're going after. But again, I said earlier, I love to see people win. Uh, well, winning has to have some kind of definition to it, right? So there's got to be a goal. And then the word there that I use, shared goal, that has two aspects to it. The first aspect of the word shared in my definition is communication, right? I have to share it with you. I have to tell you what the goal is. I have to give you the details that you need to uh, potentially accomplish the goal. I have to give you the why behind the goal. Why, Why are we even doing this? Why is this important to us? You know, what's in it for the team and all that. So, so I've got to properly communicate the goal. That's a part of sharing. But the second aspect of that word share is, we're in this together, right? So as a leader, I'm not communicating the goal to you and then saying, off you go, you know, best of luck with that. I I hope you accomplish that goal. It's shared in the sense that we are in this together, okay? So uh, as a leader, I'm not sitting in my high castle and hoping the goal gets accomplished. I'm in the trenches, if you will, with the people that are going to accomplish that goal. And so I'm sharing in it, whether it's I'm sharing in the pain or I'm sharing in the joy. Uh, as a leader, I have to be a part of that. I have to share in it. So that's kind of my view of the whole management and leadership dynamic and, and my definition of leadership. Excellent. I, I love that, Michael. Any particular, when you, when you look at, I guess, famous people or the likes, like any particular idols you have, or any business owners that you sort of look at and say, that guy just do things the way I admire. 
Yeah. So, I, I mean, I'll share a few names with you that I'm sure people will recognize. Um, mm-hmm. So a couple, as it relates to the leadership industry and in co- leadership coaching industry, there's two individuals that I consider kind of my heroes. Uh, I consider them my mentors. They don't know that they're my mentors, uh, but they are. Uh, but that's, uh, that's Ken Blanchard and uh, John Maxwell, uh, probably names that people will, will recognize. They've got dozens and dozens of books among the two of them, uh, lots of seminars and, and just different things like that. But I just really love their style of leadership. If you, you know, if you look up leadership, you're going to find various different styles of leadership. All of them are right and good and correct, you know, in their different ways, right? But I just, John and Ken, I just really resonate with their style of leadership. So for instance, uh, Ken Blanchard is, is huge in the servant leader uh, world, right? So I, I, I call myself a servant leader. I believe in servant leadership. And then John Maxwell, similar, he's servant leadership as well, but he's also really, really strong in coaching. And so for my style of leadership, I tend to put those two together and I refer to myself as a servant coach. So I want to be a servant in the sense that my purpose as a leader is to serve my team and do anything and everything that I can for them as they attempt to achieve the goal that we've set out, whatever roadblock or obstacle they have in their way. I want to serve them in a way that removes that. But then I also see myself as a coach. I want to be, I want to be a teacher. I want to, I want to be the, 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 the person that's, that as they encounter something going wrong or some pain point or something, I'm the one there, there that can teach around, well, this is why this is so painful. And next time let's do this differently and so forth. And so I, those two are my heroes. I combine their, their leadership philosophies to be what I call a servant coach. Excellent. I love it. I love it. And I, I mean, I've read a lot of John Maxwell. I, I had about a, probably about 10, 12 years of my life where I literally read a book a week and it was a lot of it was management, right? So I've, I've been through a lot of that stuff. So good. Yeah. With, with John, it's hard to go into a bookstore and get into the leadership section and not encounter John Maxwell. I mean, he's got, you know, dozens and dozens of books out there and just uh, highly recommend his stuff. Yeah. Excellent. And uh, so Michael, a, a lot of my listeners are in a situation where, you know, they're running a small business. They are, unfortunately, if they haven't listened enough to me talking, they are, <laughs> they are still working 60, 70, 80 hour weeks. They're right, really, right. really busy in their business. They're, they're trying to, to, you know, do everything and, and they really struggle to find time for management slash leadership, right? Yeah. Uh, question number one, have you been there? Which I'm sure you have. Uh, and, and question yes. number two, what, what's your take? What's your best strategies to get out of that? Yeah, no, I, I have so been there. Um, and I totally resonate with that feeling, uh, you know, that, that overwhelm of I've got everything in the world to do. And, and to your point, you know, I'm, I'm working 60 hours a week. I've got a small team of people that are dependent on me. I feel like I'm the uh, even though I have a small team of people, I feel like I'm doing everything. I totally resonate with those feelings. And, you know, what, I, what I'll say is what I encounter a lot is that individuals in, in those situations, they don't, 
and it's no fault of theirs. I get it. They're busy. They're, they're, they're just kind of struggling to get through and all, but they don't, they, they fail to recognize the importance of leadership development for themselves, but also for their team. Right. Um, and, and what I, what I call that, I, I suggest to people, you're in a situation where you're in career survival. And what I mean by that is you're focused on your career specific industry specific skill set and needs. You know, the easy one to pick on is a salesman. A salesman, he is, if he's going to be any type of salesman at all, then he's going to constantly be honing his skills as a salesman. So he's going to be reading books. He's going to be going to seminars and conferences, taking courses. He's going to be doing all these things to hone his skills as a salesman. But he's just, he's just surviving in his career in that mode because every other salesman is also doing that. And every other salesman that is doing that is going to hit an upper limit on how much they can do as an individual contributor, no matter how much they hone their skills, they're going to reach an upper limit. And like I was back in the day when I had a software development team, they're going to need a team of people. If they're going to do more than their individual contribution, they need a team of people. And when they have that team of people, if they haven't developed their leadership skills, then the wheels start falling off the bus and the team just, you know, you, know, you don't have a team really when that's the case. And so for those small business owners, I would submit to you, I get it. I understand you are so focused on your business and your specific skill sets that are needed to deliver to your customers and so forth. And you've got to continue to focus on those things, but build leadership skills such that you can build a team and begin to delegate some of those things that today have you so overburdened you begin to delegate to your team, you, you build a cohesive team. And that is, that's the key to kind of unlocking this. I'm, I'm working 60 hours a week and, I, and I'm, I'm not making any progress. The key to unlocking that is, well, I've got to get a team around me that can start to do some of these things that's taken me 60 hours a week. And I believe firmly that in order to build that team around you to do that, You've got to have some leadership development. You can't just have your industry specific skills that are going to translate into leadership. The best salesman doesn't always make the best sales manager. It doesn't always make the best leader. And I have a great freaking philosophy around that. So I hear people say that like the best engineer doesn't make the best engineering manager, the best sales. My, my problem, and this is one of my fundamental problems in, in, in the management industry in general, is the fact that most people look at a good salesman, they're like, he'll be a great manager. They promote him and expect that he will instantaneously be a good manager. Totally. My biggest challenge, like I've worked in big companies like Xerox and IBM, and you know I loved working there, but... Honestly, when you move into a management position, the training and support available to most people is, let's just say it could be more, right? Yeah, it's, and it, it's almost non-existent. I understand. Yeah, I know where you're right. coming like, from. And, and it's, it's like, that is my number one biggest frustration with businesses. Like they would literally have someone, I always say the same thing, but literally, you know, someone walks home from work Friday night and they come in Monday morning and they're suddenly expected to have this new skill set. 
Totally. And, and everyone's like, oh, you're great at this thing, sales. I mean, you'll be a great manager. My experience is at the best sales guy, that the person who can teach themselves to be the best sales guy can mm-hmm. also learn generally to be an amazing manager. However, yes. the problem and the reason why I see them fail is because people just make the assumption that he was a great sales guy, guy right. now he will be a great man- manager, right? And that is not correct. Yes. It always takes the training and development. And then, so I've, I've I mean, I've, I've managed a lot of people in my life. I currently run an outsourcing business. It's one of my businesses with about 130 staff. And mm-hmm. the fundamental reason I've managed to to get to that point is exactly that. Like I've actually yeah. been able to develop managers within the existing business by actually giving them the support they need, right? Yeah. And and I think that is probably is my biggest pet peeve with most businesses, both small businesses, but also some of the absolute biggest. Yeah, no, what, you're, what's you're, your, you know, man. you're spot on, Mads. And, and I agree with you. I, I don't believe in this notion of a born leader. I believe anyone can learn leadership, right? Uh, I believe it's a learned skill. Uh, But to your point, people just don't recognize the need to learn that skill uh, at an individual level or at a corporate level. You know, I'm I'm oftentimes asked, uh, what what do you think is the biggest challenge in leadership development, in building a business around leadership development? And I always respond with this. My biggest challenge is just, getting people to understand the need for leadership development. As an individual, they don't understand that leadership development will differentiate them. Right? again, they're in that career survival. Let me just learn about my industry-specific skills. And they don't understand that leadership development will differentiate them. At the corporate level, it's the same you know, phenomenon that's happening that you just talked about. I'll promote a, a rock star individual contributor and they'll be a great leader. No, not necessarily. Um, in fact, a rock star individual contributor can destroy a team once they become a leader of it, if they haven't been properly trained in leadership. So I agree with you. That's the biggest hurdle is just getting people to recognize you need leadership development. So, and, and particularly what I see in small business, but also, also somewhat larger ones, right? It's like, oh, you promote someone to be the sales manager. Let's go and buy him some sales courses or let's get him a sales trainer. I'm like, you promoted him to management. Why do you want to teach him sales? Like it's the wrong, it's the wrong way around, right? Right. No, I mean, if he's such a high performer that you're willing to promote him as a salesman, he already knows salesmen. He, he yeah. knows those skills. Uh, what he needs is people skills, emotional intelligence skills, you know, how to communicate skills. He needs those kind of skills uh, of leadership development in order to properly build and lead that team uh, so that they, as a group, can be successful, equally as successful, uh, you know, as individuals. But then as a group, now your your performance is just uh, exponentially larger. Exactly. Right, Michael. So so how do you go around it? So like in your business or in the in the teams you manage, how, how do you groom people below you? How do you help them become better managers? And I mean, it, it's different if, if someone is moving from one management position to another one. That's different than if they're moving, like the biggest mindset shift happens moving from individual contributor to a manager, right? But but, but what's generally your strategy to groom people and so on? Oh, that's a, that's a really good question. And, and uh, I want to respond with a very, um, very familiar and famous quote. 
Uh, I wish I, I knew who to attribute this to, but I, I honestly don't. Um, but the quote goes like this. Leaders don't produce followers. Leaders produce other leaders. Right? And I'm, I'm a huge believer in that. So as a leader, if, if all I have is a group of followers and I'm not doing anything to groom them to become leaders themselves, then I'm really failing to some degree to, to properly lead. And, you know, I, I mentioned earlier, I feel like I'm a coach, right? Yeah. Well, if I'm not grooming them and teaching them, then I'm not doing, doing coach very well. Uh, and so I've got to be doing things that's going to develop in them leadership. And to me, uh, there's two aspects to me grooming someone to also be a leader. There's first trust and there's second delegation. Both of those two things kind of go hand in hand, but I have to work with an individual. So if, so if I pick an individual and I'm going to groom them up to also be a leader, then I have to groom them in such a way that I begin to trust them. And I'm going to do this in a very uh, conscious way such that I don't apply too much risk to the situation. And I also don't set them up for failure. Now I want to, I want to stretch them. I do want to stretch them. I don't want them to always be in their comfort zone, but I want to continually give them a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. And as I'm delegating to them, then that trust factor is growing. Their confidence is growing. Um, and so just over time, I have to intentionally and purposefully delegate to them a little bit more, a little bigger problem or a little bigger situation or, or more responsibility. Uh, and then I've always got to be present. I've always got to be there. So as I delegate something that stretches them extra, you know, stretches them a little extra far, then I've got to be there present with them to coach them through that. And, and so for me, trusting your team members and delegating to them to them in a very intentional way, that is what's uh, grooming them to also be leaders. If you just give them the same five tasks every week, just do these things, do these things, do these things, do these things, they're not growing. They're not, you know, they're not stretching themselves and uh, they're not going to become leaders. So just increasing that delegation that to me, that's the key. And then trusting them that they're going to get those things done. Yeah. So I, I'd say probably my biggest thing and what I work with most of my clients on is the difference between delegating tasks and delegating responsibility, right? Yes. Because that's totally. a trap that a lot of entrepreneurs fall into. But I, I love the way you say it, right? Because you, you explain very simplistic. And I think, I think this, again, it is what business owners want to do, right? One, yeah. one of my sort of philosophies is that, you know, a lot of business owners, a lot of the people I work with, at least, you know, they grow up again from scratch like they built the business from scratch from there was right. just them and a lot of them still have this individual contributor mindset that it's all about what i do right it's me yes. me 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 yes. and and sort of learning to what's your best sort of tricks in, in helping people go from the individual contributor mindset to mm -hmm. the management or manager leader slash mindset well i mean to me you you answered that question perfectly earlier when you said don't delegate task, delegate responsibilities, or I say it somewhat differently, delegate outcomes. What, what I want from that individual when I delegate, to, I just want an outcome. Um, but if I'm delegating tasks, when I see a, a leader that is delegating tasks, I'm always pretty strong in my language with them. And I, I will suggest to them and say, if you're delegating tasks, you're just micromanaging. 
That's what delegating tasks is. It's micromanagement because what you're doing is you're telling them what you want them to do, but you're also then explicit about how to do that, right? Do this and then do that and then accomplish, right? And so you're, you're giving them not only what you want, but how you want it, the order you want it in and, and all of that. So, so that's essentially micromanagement. But to your point, if you delegate an outcome or you delegate some type of responsibility, um, now, you, now you're growing that person, you're grooming that person. And here's the, here's the thing that, that happens a lot. It's not intuitive. People, leaders don't recognize this a lot of times, especially when they're in the situation that you describe. When, you're, when you've been that individual contributor and you've done something and you've done it time and time and time again and, and, and you've honed the way you do it and you feel like you, you do it the most proficient and efficient way and so forth, we get into this, we get into this mindset or, where this is the best way. And because we've done it that way so many times, and we don't, this sneaks up on us. We don't even recognize it. We kind of have these blinders on where we don't even think about other possible ways of doing that. But when you delegate the outcome to someone and you don't mandate how they do it, you may just be shocked at how they accomplish that outcome. And it just might be a lot better than the way you typically do it. Um, and so that is a key to delegation is to your point, don't delegate the task, delegate the, the responsibility or the outcome, let them figure it out. Now, again, I want to be present. I want to be the coach. If they in the middle of, you know, delivering that outcome, accomplishing that they, they have questions, fine, I'm there, uh, but let them uh, accomplish that outcome. And you just might be shocked. It probably happens more than you might think you'll be shocked at how well and efficient they came up with a method to, to accomplish whatever that was. And it might be even better than yours. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally agree. And, and in the same way, right? Like one of the things I've always said is that the other way often works just as well. And I think that was probably one of the biggest learning points for me when I was growing up in management, right. Was, was that aspect, like really learning to trust other people and really learning to just, you know, let them own it because I, and I learned, like I learned to sit back and I learned to say to myself, Ooh, that won't work, but you know, mm-hmm. I'll let them do it anyway. And then they come back with better results than I ever expected. And I'm like, wow. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I totally get it. I, I can totally empathize with that feeling of, Ooh, I think that's not going to work out. And then you just shocked. Oh, wow. I, you know, that worked out well, actually. Um, and and one, of, one of the key things that I've found is it's not necessarily like a lot of the time, it's not about the way you do it, Correct. but it's about the passion you put into it. And yes. the thing is, if I tell someone how to do it and it fails, it's my fault. Yes. But if I let someone figure out how to do it, they will fight that much harder to make it happen, even if the way they picked wasn't the greatest way to do it. Right. Yeah. So, and I, and I found that to be a, a huge thing. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's um, the language we use, it, it, it kind of all intertwines here, but a lot of times I'll get questions about, well, how do I empower my people or how do I equip my people? And it, it relates to exactly what you're talking about. You empower your people by, by first delegating an outcome, not a task. If you've delegated a task, you haven't empowered your people. You've just said, do this and, and you expect them to do it. But if you've delegated an outcome or a responsibility, and then you trust them to, as you're talking about, just figure out a way to do it. 
then you've just empowered them. You've just extended trust to them. And here's the thing. They recognize that. They understand that. And to the point you were making, it drives them even harder to come up with a good solution and to deliver to you the outcome that you're wanting. If you just give them a task, I promise, that task is all you're going to get from them. But if you deliver to them an, an outcome and you say, I, I, I need this outcome or I need, I need you to take responsibility for this, and then you trust them in doing that, you will get that outcome and so much more from them because you've extended trust and you've empowered them to be creative and think on their own and do it the way they want to do it. You'll get so much more than just that individual task or that individual outcome from them just because they, they have that empowerment. They feel that trust from you and they'll go above and beyond for you because you've done that. Yep. Totally agree. Totally agree. What, one of the things from a, a leadership and a management standpoint that, that really just helped me immensely was, was learning sort of personalities and, and I've probably for yeah, nearly 15 years been an absolutely huge fan of disc specifically. Have, yes, have you, here. Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> so, so like, so you've, you've also spent a good bit of time like in general with personalities tests mm-hmm. and so on, or what's, what's sort of been your approach to it or benefit from it, if you will. You know, I, I think it's, I think, you know, understanding personalities and, and natural tendencies is really, really key to leadership. Uh, emotional intelligence is, is in my book, key to leadership and, you know, understanding again, nat- natural tendencies and, and people's, you know, natural characteristics. I think that's important also to, to, to know your own, like for instance, in the, in the disc survey, I'm a high D, which yeah. means I tend to think and communicate and, and, and behave in bullet lists, if you will. Yeah. Right. So a lot of times when I'm communicating, it's boom, 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 just bullet list. Or when I'm thinking or, or working on something, it's, you know, it's that very direct, very boom, boom, boom. But when I'm working with someone or when I'm having a one-on-one meeting or when I have a direct report, who is an S well, I've, I've got to know that I'm a D and I've got to know that they're an S and in that situation, the worst thing I could do as a leader is bullet points. Just boom, boom, boom. Yeah. Just hammer out a bunch of bullet points for that person because that's not their, that's not their preferred, that's not the most efficient way that they take in information and, and things like that. So for that S, I've got to be patient. I've got to be very, very detailed. I've got to even be willing to talk about feelings and fears. You know, we're, we're about to go do something. Yeah. We've never done it before. I understand you're scared. I understand you don't know how we're going to get there. And honestly, I don't know how we're going to get there either, but we're going to take these first three steps and then we're going to learn from that. And then we're going to adjust. And we're, so that's the kind of communication I'm going to have with an S. If I had a D, I would just say, we're going to go do that. Be I've yourself. Got two, <laughs> yeah. I've, I've got two in, individuals on my team uh, right now that are, are kind of the polar opposites of this, where I can just say, go do that. And, and one of them, okay, that's his, that's his response. Okay. And he, he just goes, does it. The other guy, I'll say, go do that. Well, why that? Well, do, do should we do go around, you know, should we do uh, try to accomplish it this way? Or should we consider that? Or lots of questions, lots of details. And as a leader, I've got to know that about myself and I've got to know that about my people so that I can effectively communicate with them and lead them 
lead them in their strengths, if you will. Yeah, I, uh, totally. Okay, I, I'm, yeah, I, I think we look at we look at all this stuff exactly the same way. And for, for me, actually, it, it was probably the biggest breakthrough because I think not, not just from an emotional standpoint, but like I'm I'm a ridiculously high C, right? 99% mm. high C. And I, I think uh, that the biggest challenge I always had was understanding other people. But yeah. what, what it really, like so often I would sit and say, why would anyone ever do that? Right? right and I, right. I couldn't, when I was younger, I couldn't comprehend it. Yeah. But, but learning this, and when you kind of learn like how people's mindset is different, it really helps you understand how other people think. And exactly as you say, preempt it, right? So both adjust your behavior to them, but just as much what I find really important was understanding how they think so that I can actually also anticipate their next moves and so on, right? So I, I found, I mean, that was probably the biggest game changer. Uh, I, I've worked, and as I said, I worked in IBM for many years and I had many, many jobs in IBM. I probably ended up in about seven different job roles over five years, right? And it was always... Uh, like my my ability to communicate and I, i've i've always been very good at communicating with sort of technical high cs nerdy people and right. communicate to people outside that right yeah. and that have yeah. always been my strength but but really learning this really made me so much more effective at it right yeah. so that was uh yeah excellent excellent yeah and, and you know one point I like to make is the tendency when we start to learn like the disc or Myers-Briggs and, and there's, there's lots of other kind of personality assessments out there. And when we, when we, um, when we start to learn those, I think we tend to make uh, one of two mistakes first and foremost. Uh, first, we tend to try to associate uh, some fault or failure with people of different personality traits, right? So as a D, I might look at the I's and the S's and the C's and say, well, there's something wrong with them. Uh, and that's not true at all. And the second mistake I think that we, we tend to make is, uh, especially as it relates to team building, uh, we will say to ourselves, well, I'm a D, therefore I want a, a team of D's. And again, not true at all. The worst thing that you could do is take you know, three or four high D's and put them in a room together and say, now operate as a team. It just won't happen. And so as, as you, <laughs> yeah, as you learn this, you got to recognize that it's, it's all good. It's all okay. It's, you know, whatever you're, however you score in the assessment, it's a good thing. And you want all that diversification of those yeah. things, you know, those personality traits on your team. But as a leader, you want to understand them so that you can work best with all those individuals. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. And that's, I mean, one of the typical problems and that is really hundred percent correct is people, particularly when they're not aware of these sort of things is people always hire people like themselves. Right. right. And it's not even, it's not even conscious, but it's a fact that naturally you just communicate really well with people who communicate like you and therefore yes. you just find them much better people. So when you're sitting in an interview and he's like, you're like, Oh, that, that guy or that woman is saying things exactly the way I would say it. Perfect. I'll hire them. Right. But, exactly. but really you're looking for diversification and that, and I've, I have to be honest, when I actually left my corporate job, I probably made the opposite mistake. So I've always been keen on hiring people that are not like me, but I ended up mm -hmm. in a situation where I hired no one like me yeah. so that I 
ended up being the only detail-oriented person in my business for a while, right? Right, and right. I, I definitely felt the the edge and the sort of that one as well. But sure. uh, but yeah, having having a good mix is is really really key, right? So no, it totally totally is, and you know we tend to like you were saying it, it it just happens naturally. It's not something that that consciously happens to us, but like in an interview process, if I'm entering interviewing another high D. And the questions I have, if if he's answering my questions in a in some type of bullet list format, then at the end of that interview, I feel wonderful. I feel great, yeah. right? Because he's exact. He's he answered those questions exactly the way I would want him to answer those questions. But in that interview process, what I've got to be thinking about is what team is this person going to be working in, and and what is the makeup of that team? And again, it, you know if 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 I'm interviewing this guy and and he's answering in bullet list kind of format, it makes me feel great. But then if I look at the team that he's going to be a part of, and there's another couple, you know, one or two high bullet list kind of D folks on that team, it's probably not going to work out well, right? And so I got to be th- instead of thinking about how his answers or her answers what resonated with me. I got to be thinking about how one her, the answers have to be correct. Obviously, uh, that's a that's a given. But I've got to be thinking about well, how does their personality potentially work within the team that they're going to be yeah. working for or working in? Not how does it resonate with me? Exactly. Yeah, I love it, and that's uh, yeah, we look at that very similar. So excellent. Good. Good. Right, Michael, before we wrap up, is there, is there one particular topic that you really feel we should touch on? Well, so I, I think one thing, uh, one thing I always like to teach as it relates to leadership is this thing that I call the golden rule. Um, and I like to teach this because I think it's a, it's a really pro- profound principle that applies to leadership, but I think it, it, it enables and equips and, and brings a, a level of confidence and all that to leaders that I think is really, really a struggle for a lot of leaders, especially, you know, you mentioned earlier, uh, the business leader that's got a small, you know, 10 man team or something like that. Um, and, and I teach this principle because in, in my workshops and individual teaching and coaching and all, I constantly, especially from younger leaders, I get questions that are kind of in this form how would you deal with a situation where blank, right? You fill in the blank, you know, you got a, a, a rock star salesman, but he's killing morale with the rest of the team. Or, you know, how would you deal with a situation where you got a fire, an underperformer, whatever, right? So you can see in those leaders, when they ask that question, you can see the, the worry, you can see the stress, the pressure, the uncertainty. They've got a a difficult situation to deal with and they don't know how to deal with it at all. And I know you're not supposed to do this, but I always respond to that question with a question. And that question goes back to the golden rule that I talked about. How would you want to be treated in that situation? Right? If you were the underperformer, how would you want to be treated from your leader? If you were the rock star salesman that was killing morale for the rest of the team, how would you want to be treated in that situation? And as they talk through that, as they verbalize their feelings and thoughts around how they would want to be treated, you can just kind of see the uncertainty starts to kind of melt away. The, the confidence starts to build. 
you know, you can see them starting to kind of formulate a plan on how they're going to deal with this situation. Now, now I'm not suggesting that it takes away the difficultness of the situation. I mean, you know, if you've got to fire someone, that's just a difficult situation. There's no way around it. Right. But the leader feels empowered. They feel equipped, right. They, They feel like they're, they, they can, they can do it. Right. And so what I would submit to you as leaders, be intentional about just stop and think, how would I want to be treated in this situation? Uh, and you got to do that up front. You can't rely on the heat of the moment to then say, all right, well, how do I want to be treated? And then treat your people, lead your people that way. You've got to be upfront about thinking through these things. I think that's a, a, an incredibly powerful principle for leaders to, to always be aware of and uh, just kind of work through how would you want to be treated in that situation? And then as you go and, and treat your team members that way, you know, you're doing right by them and you know, you're doing right by the situation uh, because it's the way you would want to be treated. So that's, that's a principle maybe that I would leave with any leader, no matter what kind of level you're on the, the golden rule, will it'll always serve you well. Excellent. It, it, yeah. It reminds me about one of the advices that I've given a few times on the podcast already, but it's, Basically, when particularly when delegating work and, and generally when, when, when empowering people around you, stop answering questions and start asking questions. Yes. So when people come to you with a question, you, you don't want to answer it. And, and I see it all the time with business leaders, right? What, what happens is that you know, their, their messaging is always blinking with question and question and question. What do I do here? What should I do here? And, right. and my response is always the same. Never answer them. Right. What you want to do is you want to answer them with a question like, what do you think? Or, you know, what, what options do you see? And, and then go down that route. But you basically, because if you answer the question, you stop their thinking. Yes. And if they don't think, they don't learn and they don't develop. If you yes. are serious about developing them, you have to ask questions. Right. And that, that leads straight down to your golden rule. So I love it. Love it. Totally agree. And I tell you one way, one little trick that way you'll, you'll identify that as a, as a, kind of a fault of your own is if you're asked a question and you just kind of directly answer it, don't be surprised if that person comes back to you soon after and ask the exact same question. Yes. And if that happens, you know, it's because I'm just kind of feeding you the answer. I'm not coaching you through learning this yourself. And so be on the lookout for those repeat questions uh, because when that's the case, it's not because of some fault or failure of theirs it's because you as the leader, as the coach, you're not teaching them effectively. You're just giving them the answer. Yeah. And that's, uh, I, I love it. I, I basically called you, you basically build in their head, the process of when this happened, ask boss man, right? Exactly. Uh, exactly. And, and that's, that's exactly what happens. So yeah. When, when it gives them a successful result, that becomes the process. And exactly. so if, if the process becomes just ask him, well, you've got to, you got to be the one that changed that. They won't. Excellent, Michael. Thank you so, so much for being on the podcast today. If people are eager to get in touch with you, what are the best places to find you? So the best thing to do is just head over to our website. You can find that at credibleleaders.com. And from there, you can find everything that I'm involved in. I'm involved in a couple of podcasts. Uh, I facilitate a online leadership community where, you know, I've gathered 
uh, dozens and dozens of leaders in various levels, right? From right out of college, aspiring to their first leadership position to CEOs of, of really large companies. And it's just a, a safe community where we can learn from one another. And so you can find links to the community uh, from my website is there. So, so just head over to credibleleaders.com. You can certainly find everything I'm doing there and how to get in touch with me, email me and so forth from there as well. Perfect. Thank you very much, Michael. It was an absolute pleasure. Mads, thank you so much. It's an honor for me to spend some time with you and, and share some, uh, hopefully some, some value with your customers. It's an, or I'm sorry, not your customers, your audience. It's an honor to serve them in that way today. So thank you so much for the opportunity. Awesome. Thank you, everyone. And thank you for listening and tuning in this week. Uh, I'll talk to you again next week. Thank you for listening to the Mad Singers Management Podcast. Please leave a review. It means the world to us. You can also learn more about management at madsingers.com.